So with it being New Year's Eve, how many of you are already ready with your New Year's resolution for this upcoming year? Hands? How many of you made one last year? Not as many as I would have thought. It's okay. You don't have to be shy. You can put them up there. How many of you failed at your resolutions? There are more hands than people who had resolutions. But, okay. That's okay. So what I wanted to do with our focus being on persevering, pushing through the resolutions that we have, is share with you this year's top 10 resolution attempts. And so, drum roll please. Number 10, I was on my way to the gym, but the wind was so strong, it blew me into a Krispy Kreme. Number nine, starting tomorrow, I will no longer procrastinate. Number eight, I made a resolution to join a gym, went in to sign up and found out I already had a membership that I'd opened last January. Number seven, I made a resolution to stop honking at dumb drivers, so I clap instead. If you see me clapping, you messed up. Number six, my New Year's resolution is to help all my friends gain 10 pounds so I look skinnier. Number five, a teacher asked her students to write down their New Year's resolution. One wrote, retire. Uh, number four, I resolved to make better choices. Four days later, I got stuck in a baby swing and had to call the fire department. Number three, I made two resolutions this year, to only eat donuts with friends and to make more friends. Number two, I made a resolution to read more, so I put the subtitles on my TV. And the number one resolution this year, I made a resolution to lose 15 pounds, only 20 more to go. And that is our top 10 list for this year. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, as some of you know, Liz and I got the opportunity to take off, uh, spend one more Christmas with her family, and probably two or three days before, I caught whatever stupid flu Texas has right now, um, was feeling way better, and then this morning woke up, and now I think we both have it. Uh, so I will try very hard not to cough into the mic, try to block it off a little bit, and I have hand sanitizer back here and will not be touching your bread, uh, so Grace is still illness-free, um, so please continue to take that. But apart from that, guys, where we're focused in today is on persevering, pushing through resolutions, pushing through different things that are going on in our lives in order to see the rewards that God has already promised for us, and the perfect story to represent this starts out in the Old Testament. It starts out with the story of Jericho back in Joshua, in the sixth book, in the sixth chapter, where we hear the story of how God led his people to victory over, over a city that was more fortified than anything they'd ever experienced in their lives. And so let me just read some of it to you again to get us refreshed and ready to go. So starting at verse 1, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up everyone's straight in. And so the first thing that I want you all to take note of here is in the very first verse where it's talking about how the gates were all barred up. All of the walls were sealed. No one was allowed to come into Jericho and no one was allowed to come out. And this always kind of struck me as weird. 
It always struck me as strange. Why is this incredibly fortified city shutting itself up because they heard that the Israelites were coming? And so in doing some research and looking at what's going on, for 40 years, the Israelites have been wandering around in the wilderness. All right, most of us know that. That's fine. But while they were in the wilderness, they were able to accomplish some absolutely incredible things. And stories of what they were able to accomplish, and especially what God did for them, they spread all over the place. People everywhere heard about the Israelites and heard that when the people were hungry, they were given manna. When the people were hungry, they were given quail. When the people were thirsty, water sprang forth from a rock. And so the people were well known throughout all of the land. So Jericho had heard of the Israelites, and when the Israelites started to get a little too close, Jericho shut itself up. They locked themselves in. And the Israelites probably are thinking, let's just go around the city into the promised land. It's not that big. It takes them about an hour to march around it. So what's the point of of attacking it? Like, we don't really have weapons to get in there. We're not ready for a siege. We'll just go around. But God told them, no, you need to take this city. And then we see later on, I believe in verse 2, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and all of its strong warriors. (coughs) Excuse me. And so, God, before they have even started marching, before they have even gotten ready to fight, has already told them, you win. He's using the present tense in order to describe something that hasn't even taken place yet. That's exactly what he's done for us too. You see, if you think about it, if you think about our lives right here, right now, the junk that's going on in our world, it can seem like the most important thing, and possibly even the end of our lives, the end of our experience, the end of anything that's ever going to be us, and yet God has already told us, because of my son, you've already won. This world is full of evil, it's full of junk, it's full of stuff trying to pull you away, but I have already won the battle for you. And so we know that we'll be with Jesus. But what does that look like for us? How do we, how do we truly know that? And how do we walk through our own experiences similar to Jericho? Well, let's continue to read and we'll see. Something else to take note of in this first section here is that the gates of Jericho were shut up and no one went out. And then the Lord said to Joshua, the Lord was not talking to the people. He was only talking to Joshua at this point. And he told him, here's the battle plan. Here's what I want you to do. Go do it. And so Joshua goes to his men. And then in verse 6, it says, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the covenant's Lord, or the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark, and all this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, and then shout. So we had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, um, circling it once, and then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. So what's going on here is the people are being given exactly the information that they need to know for that moment. 
All that they know is that at some later date, we're going to have to shout, but apart from that, all I'm supposed to do is follow directions. And so I imagine it as kind of like a, a young guy, you know, because during these 40 years, all of the people who were with Moses had died. The only ones who are left are Joshua and maybe a couple others, but this is a new generation of Israelites. This is a new group of men and women who have been called up to serve in whatever capacity they have. And so I imagine that there's probably a young guy who's been training in the wilderness with these other people, learning, you know, how to use a sword, how to put on armor. Maybe he's recently married, and he just looks up to this guy, this Josh, and he's just, man, that's who I want to be. And so the first day, Joshua goes to his people, and he says, all right, load up, get dressed, put on your sword, put on your armor. We're going to Jericho. And the young guy probably tells his wife, kisses her goodbye, and says, man, we're going to fight today. Here it is. That whole reason for you marrying me, because I'm exciting, I'm a warrior. Today's the day. I'm coming back with stories. So day one, gets over there, lines up behind the priests. You know, it's always weird that we're bringing the priests first into battle, but, you know, we trust Joshua. He's our fearless leader. He knows what he's doing. We march around the city. Then we go back to camp. So the first day, the young man goes home to his wife, who's all excited, you know, waiting to hear the stories. And he just tells her, we just marched around the city today. We didn't fight at all. Maybe tomorrow. That'll be fine. Joshua wouldn't lead us astray. It's okay. So day two, they go. They go back to Jericho. He's all dressed. He's ready to go. He's ready to fight. They march around the city once. Probably took him an hour. And then they go back to camp. Silent the whole time. He gets home and his wife asks, how was war today? We just walked in a circle. Then we came back. It's only been an hour. Like, he's a little frustrated. So then day three, the same thing happens. And day four and day five, and each day he comes home and his wife asks, how was war today, honey? And the man's just frustrated. He's like, we're not doing anything. We have to be quiet. We have to get all dressed. We walk around. It's hot. And we come back here. There's nothing going on. I, 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 can't, I can't do this. I don't see any sort of progress. I don't know if we're trying to figure out what the weak part of the wall is. It's been five days, all right? We should probably know by now, but we haven't done anything. And then day six comes, and the guy is kind of at the point where, you know, I've had it. I'm taking this into my own hands. If Joshua's not going to attack, I'm going to attack. <coughs> and so day six, they get there. And he's walking around the city. And again, Joshua says the same thing, you know, stay silent. Trust the Lord. He's already given this city over to you. Just do what he says. Trust that he's got this worked out. So the man's kind of convicted. And even though he's so frustrated, he follows orders. He marches around the city. Comes back home to a wife waiting for exciting stories. And once again, all he can say is, we marched around the city. So day seven comes, and the young man notices Joshua's got a little more excitement to it. You know, he's jumping up and down a little bit, and he tells all of the men, today we're marching around the city seven times. I don't know why he's excited, but that, that, that sounds like it sucks, all right? It's taken us an hour to march around the city once. If we're going to do it seven times, that's seven hours of marching, and then what? We're just going to come home? Like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? But whatever, he reminded the people again, this is what God has called us to do. 
This is the plan that God has laid before us. Maybe you don't see what's happening. Maybe you don't understand the progress that's about to take place. But this is what God has called us to do. We trust him and we follow the Lord. And so they march around the city seven times. What they had been told is after the seventh lap, when the trumpets blast one long one, they're supposed to shout with all their might. So they shout up to the walls after the long blast. They've just marched. They're tired. They're they're sick of marching. They're so frustrated. They've seen nothing happen. Not even a brick has fallen. But when they shout, all of the walls collapse in. And they rush into the city and they take it. They wipe everyone out. They kill every living thing. And they see exactly as God had said, the city and its king and all of its strong warriors have been given over to the Israelites. And they've won. But that day seven, it took six days of frustration and lack of understanding and not being able to see the results of what's actually going to happen taking place. It took six days of of really kind of crap and garbage. But day seven came, and it was incredible. And everything that God had promised came true. The promise that God had shared with them, it just bled through. And that is where we are at right here and now. Like the people in Jericho, we're all going through our own sort of six days of just garbage and trash where we don't understand what's going on. For some of us, it's, it's very physical. Maybe you're, you're sick. Maybe you have the flu right now. Maybe you're someone who's, who's looking forward to a surgery and you're really nervous about it. Maybe you're someone who has a kid who isn't quite living up to what you expected. Maybe they've, they've grown up and they've left the faith. Maybe they've, they've chosen a lifestyle that you never thought they would have been a part of. Maybe you're someone who's been here at Pilgrim and you're, you're just not sure if we're moving in the direction that you want. Or maybe we're moving in a direction but you're not seeing the results that you expected. You're not seeing the progress that you had hoped for and so now you're starting to think this is a waste of time. I might as well just give up. Maybe you're dealing with something personal that nobody else knows about and it just seems like you're on the brink of not being able to handle it. You feel like God has abandoned you. And yet in that moment, in that last second of desperation, when it seems the most impossible, when it seems like God has completely left and it is totally up to you to figure out what to do next, that's when you're closest to seeing God's promise coming true. So each of us have our own little six-day periods that we're dealing with, waiting for our day seven, but all of us have one that we share together. And that comes in the awaiting for Jesus to return. We just celebrated that Jesus came. We just celebrated that he was born. Merry Christmas. But we're also awaiting for his second coming. When Christ returns, not to simply tell us how awesome heaven will be, but to take us there. To show us that our day seven is going to be unlike anything we've ever thought of before. Where absolute perfection is all that we experience. No pain, no sorrow, nothing sad ever happens. All the sin is completely wiped out. And we're so close. And this world is doing a fantastic job of trying to show us that God, God must have abandoned you. God must have ignored you. God must just be waiting for you to die out so he can figure out what to do next. But really what that is is that's the world and that's the enemy attempting to tell you that God doesn't love you when in fact God has already shown you that he loves you more than anything. He loves you more than anything you could possibly have experienced. 
And he gave you the example of what these six terrible, awful days look like when we look at Christ. In Christ's last week before he was crucified, the very first day that he walked into the city, he's marching in on a donkey. Selection Sunday. An opportunity for the, Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem to select their perfect lamb to sacrifice. And Jesus comes marching in on a donkey. Then day two, Monday, Jesus enters the temple and sees all of the evil and corruption that's taken place and he's flipping tables and he's chasing these money changers out, telling them that his father's house is a house of prayer. Then day three, Tuesday, they're out in the garden, they're relaxing together, Jesus and the disciples, and you see the fig tree that's not bearing fruit. And you can tell the frustration in Jesus is boiling up as he curses the fig tree. Then typically in, in our historical records, Wednesday is typically known as Silent Wednesday. The thought is that the disciples are arresting, they're thinking back on past Passovers and just what that means and what they're going through this week and preparing for the Passover that is that Thursday. Then we have day five. <coughs> day five when, when the Passover actually takes place when Christ breaks bread with the disciples, when he, he institutes the Lord's Supper among them. And for the disciples, it's, it's a confusing time, but it's also an incredibly wonderful time. They're experiencing something they've never experienced before with their Lord, with their rabbi, with the Messiah. And yet for Jesus, it's the beginning of something even more terrible. And so they leave and they go to the garden and you can tell at the end of this day five when Jesus is just breaking down, sweating blood, praying to God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But not my will, yours be done. And then he's arrested and he's taken away and he experiences one of the most terrible day sixes that anyone has experienced in their life. He's beaten, he's mocked, he's spit on, He's bloodied, he's nailed to a cross, and he dies, completely humiliated. And yet, day seven, when Jesus is in the tomb, we think of that as another sad day where Jesus has been separated from us. But on day seven, day seven is when Jesus is telling the devil, you've lost. Day seven is the day when the promise has come true, when the promise has, has come through, when Jesus is announcing to all of the evil in the world, you no longer own my people. You no longer have control over my people. You no longer have a victory. You have nothing. I have won. And then on day eight for us, he comes and tells us. And we get the same information that the Israelites got when they were approaching Jericho. I have won the battle for you. I have already given you the victory. Persevere so that you can have the rewards that I have promised you. Persevere through the faith. You see, Jesus is our primary example. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we follow. And he's the one who's already suffered a harder week than we can ever imagine. And yet, when we're suffering ourselves, whether it be a literal week, maybe it's seven hours, maybe it's seven months, maybe it's seven years, when you're experiencing something awful and terrible, don't quit before the end. Don't quit because of how hard it's getting. 
Don't give up like every resolution. Stick with it. Stay true to your faith. Stay true to what Jesus is doing in your life. And understand that His promises will always come through. They will always come true. They will always come to you, and you have already won the victory. You've already been promised it. And so now we just continue to persevere, to push through, to continue in our faith, and to continue to share that faith with each and every person that we meet, and to trust that Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is working in each and every one of us and each and every person that we interact with. Know that wherever you are, whether you're on day one, two, three, four, five, or six, day seven is coming. And that promise is going to ring true and we will all celebrate with Jesus with the, as, as large of a kingdom as we possibly can. Persevere so that you may receive the rewards that have already been promised to you.